From the international number one best-selling author John Grisham comes the electrifying new thriller, The Reckoning. Mississippi, 1946, and a murder case echoes down the years, leaving a dark, ominous shadow on the town of Clanton. Pete Banning, back home from World War II, rises early and drives into town and shoots and kills Reverend Dexter Bell. Some crimes go down in history. The Reckoning by John Grisham. Out now in hardback, ebook, and audiobook. Hello, ladies and gentlemen, and welcome to episode two of George Ezra and Friends, the podcast. Uh, my name is George Ezra. I'm a musician myself. I'm a singer. I'm a songwriter. I first released music back in 2014, and uh, I've been very busy ever since. But that's enough about me. So this week, our guest is Rag and Bone Man. Now, when I first contacted Rory to see if he'd be interested in getting involved in the show, he said, of course but you'll have to come and see me somewhere on tour. And he didn't need to say anything more. Um, I booked the train, I went up to Glasgow, um, where he was playing a show the next day. Uh, in fact, he played a show the night that I arrived. So when I went to meet him at his hotel, uh, I reckon he'd, he had had a little drink the night before, um, but it was brilliant. We sat down and we just, lost ourselves in conversation for a few hours and it was great he's a really nice lad i think you're going to love this just a quick warning that there is some strong language throughout this episode let's go thank you for being here right. today it's amazing we are sat to give you some context at a hotel in glasgow <clears throat> yes. Have you been out today yet? Uh, no, I've been in a darkened room since this morning. So tonight you're playing at the academy. Yeah. And it's your second night. You played last. Yeah, ma'am. How was last night? It was good. They took a little bit of time to warm up, but when they did, they were warm. They were um, a really nice crowd. I mean, you can always count on Scotland to be like that. I think they just they always do go mental, whether it's a Monday or a Saturday. They just they, they're up for it. Do you know what I mean? God. I always say like, no, London's a great gig, but when you get sort of north of Birmingham, it always, I don't know, it just it feels a bit different. Absolutely. When people say, where's well, the best place to play? <clears throat> Glasgow, without fail. I Manchester's think- a good one, mm-hmm. but, but Glasgow's one of my favourites. And, and, but Dublin was, I think, probably the best gig, one of the best ones we've done ever, I think. So you must be nearing the end of this record. Yeah, we we are at the end. Yeah, pretty much. I, I, I mean, there, there's been kind of talks about releasing something else that's that's like not on this record or not on the next record. Um, and I've done a couple of sort of collaborative things. I've been working more on kind of rap stuff. Like I, I did a, a song with um, a guy called Foreign Beggars, um, which is coming out on their album. Um, some with my old label High Focus. I did a couple of tracks on, on one of the guys' uh, albums. Um, but that's it pretty much I'm just writing new stuff at the moment I was, I was going to ask you that actually I know that Human as a record is one record that's come after four other releases yeah. if not more Yeah. 
would you ever consider releasing a track off one of the previous projects? I feel like I'm just going back if I do that. I feel like all of the projects I've released are completely different. And um, that's sort of me at that time. Do you know what I mean? And I feel like I don't want to go back and and go sort of dig up the old me. I want to do something new. Yeah, I get that. Yeah. And was that deliberate to try something different on each one? I think just the way I felt about music at the time. And it just came out different every time, you know. And it's, it's learning and growing as a songwriter and stuff and you, you, I listen back to some stuff and I think fucking hell that's not that good or you know I would have done it different and, but hindsight's a motherfucker isn't it so. I, I was going to ask you that as well in many ways we've had quite a similar experience regarding how things have come around it's kind yeah. of you blink and suddenly you're, you're in high demand and yeah. something that I had nearing the end of my <coughs> first record was when I listened back to my first record, I still love it, but there's so many things that I would change having toured it. Yeah. And it's not, I don't dislike it at all, no, no. but once you've played it with a band and bedded it in, yeah. you think like, fuck, yeah. we could have, do, do you get that at all? All the time, yeah. Yeah, I listen to certain tracks, I'm like, I, I, I wouldn't do it that way now, but you know. It, that's kind of cool, because it's a representation of you at that time, and you know, and, and, and that's it, you, you, you like, the more you work with different people and stuff, you learn off of people and, you, you know, you, you write differently and you do melodies differently and depending on what music you're listening to at the time as well, do you know what I mean? Do you stay true to the recordings live or do you like to play around with no, it as well? No, we, we do things totally different. Um, I did kind of, at, at first, I was doing everything kind of as is on the record, but I found it quite boring. I was like, I, I, as, a, as a kind of audience member, kind of, you know, from that perspective and, 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 and going to gigs, so I like going to gigs and, and seeing people play stuff in a kind of more interesting way than is on the record. Like, I think when I went to a D'Angelo gig, I was like, I expected it to be quite muso, but I didn't expect it to be that different from how it sounded on the record. But I loved it and I was like, I, I kind of wanted to do something like that. So my MD... Um, ben Jackson Cook is is a big part of that. He 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 just like he's fully immersed in. I, I say like I want to do it this way, and he's like right, I got you, and 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 puts together arrangements for me. So it's good to have that at your disposal. Yeah, it's a luxury, isn't it? I yeah, for sure. Uh, one of the best luxuries recently I've found is like we wrote a song on the road, and I was like, should we just play it? And they're like, we just learn a, a brand new song on the road no one's ever heard it it doesn't exist anywhere else other than that time on that stage so I find that really cool did it feel good? yeah it's wicked yeah and how, how are you finding writing on the road? Um, it's cool do you know what it's really helped me out because this time around has been more difficult going out on the road because I've got a little boy and he, he's really young and um, just you know being away from home and stuff um, to, to have something to like actually do and concentrate on you know other than kind of reading a book or you know what it's like on tour you spend a lot of time in, in, a, in a room by yourself or you know on the back of a bus or you know in, in a small dingy room somewhere so to have a little studio set up is, is such a blessing do you know what I mean it just gives you something to concentrate on rather than just wallowing fucking hours away. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Watching another fucking series or whatever, you know. I didn't know whether you were gonna 
bring up your son or not. Again, yeah. congratulations. I, I, thank it's you, amazing. I, I, I'm aware. Well, the first time I met you was in, was it Paris? No, Germany. Germany. And he, he must have only been about two weeks old at that point. He was, that was the first time I've been away, I think. And, and uh, yeah, that was when I first met you. You congratulated me then, so. But the reason I wasn't going to bring it up is because I've, I get the sense that you are deliberately private with your personal life. Yeah, but... Which I'm not going to question why you do that. I, I completely understand it. Basically, like, the, what happened with that is um, I kind of... I was going to comp- keep it like completely out of the media totally, and, and I tried my hardest to, but people find out stuff, you know, it, and... and this, I think it was one of the papers, like one of those red top papers, were like getting in contact and was like, "Oh, we're going to run a story and such and such." And I was like, "I'm not going to give you the information, but I know that it's going to come out." So I was like, "I just I mentioned it on Jonathan Ross," and I was like, "At least then it's come from me and it hasn't come from someone else." Do you know what I mean? So you know, it's out there, whatever. But but so the, the you <coughs> you know keeping aspects of your personal life. You know, to yourself, which is completely that's that's completely understandable. Mm. But is there certain catalysts that you found along the way that kind of made you feel like, okay, I want to keep things private, or was it something you always knew that you were gonna keep? To yourself? I just like separation between those two worlds. It's like my missus always says, "Oh, you're you're just like a totally different person when you're on stage than you are in real life." And 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 it's like when I go home, I want to be just like. Uh, a husband and a dad and then just separate those two worlds do you know what I mean so yeah I, I like it that way well yeah and also otherwise you would be Rory on stage there's a mm. reason people have names on stage yeah exactly it's, it's kind of putting <laughs> on a costume before it just yeah I completely get that do you know what's funny is no matter how cool your job is which it is very cool how, how no matter how cool you are you're just going to be dad yeah, exactly. <laughs> I'm just gonna. I've got, you know. I've got. And when he's 14, I'm gonna be wallet. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? Or or or, or car insurance. Or taxi. Yeah, exactly, exactly. I yeah. know that you've mentioned you grew up in a fairly musical house. Mm. Both your parents are musical. Can you recall a point in time where you started to develop your own relationship with music, where you fell in love with music for the first time, and what those sounds were, and what it felt like? I think um, m- my kind of relationship with music, when you're like, I don't know, s- seven years old, you-, you listen to the music that your parents listen to, you kind of don't have a choice, you know. And I, 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 l- luckily, my mum and dad are a wicked sent, like, taste in music. My, you know, my dad listened to old like jazz and um, rock and roll, and my mum listened to great folk music and stuff. But um, I think I was about 12, and... Um, I saw the Fugees and D'Angelo on, I had a DVD, and a DVD was, um, it was Jules Holland, Hip Hop and Soul. And it was like, it was all of those acts. So it was like Erica Badu, uh, India Irie, um, like Lyndon David Hall, Music Soul Child, <clears throat> like the Fugees, like, no, all of these like great artists. And that was like, when you're kind of that age, you you kind of want something that's yours, that you kind of like, you know, this is mine, it's not my parents, it's like, you know, and, 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 and hip-hop was that for me, it was like, my, my mum doesn't like hip-hop, so it's, do you know what I mean? Like, that was the, that was the kind of relationship, and um, yeah, and, and that was like the start of kind of 
that what sparked my imagination. Do you know what I mean? I was like, I got excited about music, I think. And did you have people around you, school friends, that were as excited about the same thing? Was there like a Not really. Like, my school was, it, you, it was either kids that were into, like, rock and, and um, with the kind of hair over the one eye. The and, emo and, fringes. And the emo fringes and the, and the little tie things around the necks. Do you remember those? <coughs> and um, and there was kids that were like from my estate that were into jungle, and it was that was kind of it. Maybe it wasn't, but that's how I kind of perceived it at the time. So I was in the kind of drum and bass and garage sort of kind of camp. Yeah, and people didn't really know that much about hip hop. I grew up in a sleepy East Sussex town, so <laughs> it wasn't really a big hip hop kind of place. And so to, to get your fix of, was there an age where you started travelling outside of, was there opportunities to get up and perform in your town? No, not to perform and not even really to <clears throat> buy the music either. There was nowhere to buy records like that. So I used to buy, they used to have, I don't know if it still exists, they used to have a magazine called The Source Magazine. It was like kind of a Q magazine for hip hop or whatever, or the Mojo for hip hop, whatever. And it was like, it was, it was, um, it was all like stories about, you know rappers and stuff like that and but in the back they had like a little bit where they would have all the albums set out and and you had to fill in this little form and send off a check and you had to tick the boxes of what cds you wanted and it would come back but it, it was ordered from america so you wait for like a month it made me like really appreciate the kind of um the kind of tactile thing with music like having a cd and, and pulling out the thing and and reading every single bit of it and seeing all the pictures and stuff like that, do you know what I mean? It's like Yeah, do you remember the days as well when you'd get the C D and then even in the artwork there'd be another thing to fill out to get a poster yeah. or something. Yeah, like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Everything yeah. was like a transaction of I want this so much that I'm actually gonna fill it out yeah. and go through the It's mad how much it's changed though in the last ten years or so. And you it's... just take for granted that it has. Yeah. I still buy records, but now and again, I, I just listen to loads of new music, and then, you know, if I really like something, I'll buy it on, a, on an actual record. Yeah. That's exactly the same. I kind of see it <clears> as a, it's like a try before you buy. Yeah. Um, yeah, I still love the possession of things. I, I buy CDs when I, I kind of got a job when I was fourteen, and I'd buy two vinyls with the amount I made each week, and I realised, man, I could buy four CDs instead of two vinyls. <laughs> You're an idiot. So now I've got a CD collection. Yeah. I always said, if I ever win the Euro Mill, I'm going to just put go to someone like, here's the CD collection. I'm going to give you two months. I want to come back and see it on vinyl. Yeah. <laughs> That's the dream. I had a trip when I when I was like 16, 17. I went to this um, like charity shop type place. And it was an old yard, and this guy used to do uh, house clearances. And, it, and, I, and I said to him, like, one day, I was like, I like hip-hop records. If you ever get records in, just call me and I'll come and buy them. And he'd give me, like, five for a quid. So I just, like, my record collection is massive because this guy just used to give me all these records all the time. Amazing. Yeah. So then if there's not much, you know, opportunity for performance... <clears throat> or even, you know, as you were saying, even buying music yeah. in your hometown. Were you travelling outside of town at a certain age? Did it get to yeah, a point you where you either went to London or Brighton, and, and, and Brighton was like 10 miles away from me, so that was the place you went. You know, there was like pretty like healthy music scene. Whatever you was into, there was a scene for it. You know what I mean? If you was into reggae sound system clashes or jungle or hip-hop or acoustic kind of folk music and stuff like that, you know.
there was there was there was loads of stuff to do. So um, it was just getting the balls to do it in the first place. So was there a point where you're just kind of building yourself up, building yourself up? I'm going to perform. I'm going to perform. Yeah. And you do it. I went to this night. They had a night called Slip Jam. It was an open mic cipher night. It was like open decks. And, 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 and people would just get up and rap and freestyle. And I think I went to that night probably 20 times before I performed. Because it was like, I thought these guys were like, you know, so much better than I was. I was like, if I, they're just going to rip the piss out of me if I, if I try and get up there and rap or sing or do whatever, you know. And like, I'm like really good friends with all the guys now. Like, you know, we've been friends for like 10 years or whatever. Because that's kind of where I started off. Um, but I, I just... You know, they remember me just being like, like rigid and not, and not being able to get up. Or even when I was, I would turn my back to the audience because I didn't want to look at people. So no way. Yeah. So the, 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 your like introduction to performing was like a love hate affair. Of like yeah. I really want to be doing this, yeah. but I fucking hate this at the yeah. same time. Yeah, I felt wow. so so nervous about being on stage and you know being in front of people. And is that something you still experience today? I d yeah, it's changed so much for me. I don't I don't get nervous at all. Like I don't have uh, the only thing I I get is like a bit of kind of I want to do it now, <laughs> you know. Not like I hate the kind of hour before performing. Like I want to do it now, but no, that's it. I don't, I don't really get like mad nerves. Maybe like Glastonbury this year was a bit bit nervous, but there was forty thousand people or something there. So what time was your set? It was like three in the afternoon on uh, Sunday. Mate, every year I hear talk about. I lost my mind there this year. <laughs> Wait, I thought time. I wasn't going to get it back. I can't, the, the year that, not, it was two years ago, 2014, <clears> we played and, you know, you get a few friends in, your friend, some of my friends work on a tourist van every year, okay. so there's like people there and it was kind of at the height of the first record mm. and I got my sister to paint me as a tiger face paint. There, no one cocked me at all. Really? Until I went, it was my round. I went to buy some ciders. This girl's like, I'm really sorry, I've got to ID you. I get ID'd everywhere. Yeah. Of course, it says George Ezra on my ID. So there's some tiger, oh, you know, with eyes like. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I'm my ID. She looked at me like, what the? I came and saw you earlier. I was just, shh, don't tell anyone. Hey, uh, that, that was, uh, it was quite peak for me at Glastonbury this year. I was like, I, I played the previous two years and on. Obviously, like after performing, I was like, I just want to go and enjoy the festival, go and see a few bands or whatever. And it was like a few people would recognise me in that, but this year was different. It was like I remember one point I was standing by myself. I was like, I'll just need a piss. I'm going to go to use the regular toilets or whatever. And I was standing outside the toilet, surrounded by about 25 people. And like I was like, Toby, and my tour manager, like Toby, <laughs> just like. <laughs> I, I'd never felt so scared in my life. It was just surrounded by people all with mobile phones. Man, it's the... How do you find the kind of selfie culture? I know this isn't me interviewing no, you, no, but, but I'm, I, in, I'm interested to know. Cause so I read that you said, you know, if you could erase the fame aspect of success, then you would. Yeah. And I get it. It's not that I'm ungrateful of it. I'm, I'm kind of understand that the two and two go together. I think the bit that upsets me sometimes is when someone doesn't even say hello or mm. doesn't say how are you or anything, it's just, can I have a picture? Yeah. I've not got it in me to say, 
not no. until you ask me how I am. Yeah. You know, not until we, we yeah. have a conversation. <laughs> yeah. But so I do the picture, and you kind of know. Or there's that time when someone asks for a picture and someone says, who is it? And they tell them, they go, oh, can I get a picture? And you go, you don't even know who I am. Yeah, this is just yeah. for Facebook likes. This yeah. is just, and it's yeah. kind of, you are a commodity in that sense. A kind of... That's my issue with it, I think, is the, is, is um, you have to, like, question someone's motives when they're, they're not, like, that. Then there's no kind of niceties or, you know, oh, I'd really like this song or, you know, blah, blah, blah. No, I love it when someone who comes up who's like genuinely into the music and they're like, they want to talk to you about like what songs are about and stuff like that. And you're like, that's really cool. But the, that aspect of just someone sticking their phone in front of your face. Like I'm not, I don't say no to people. But um, I was in a restaurant eating and I had a fork full of noodles and a, and a woman came up and put her phone in front of my face and took a picture of me. I was like, that's, that was the moment I was like, this is not fucking cool. Do you know what I mean? That's, I'm fucking eating my dinner. <laughs> Leave me alone. <laughs> oh, man. Man, man, man. But I just, yeah. Yeah, I mean, like, I, I never say no to people. The only time I ever say no to people is if I'm walking my son in his pram. And I think that's completely respected. You know, people will respect that. There's yeah, I think most people will when children are involved. I don't know. In, my, in the back of my head, I assume that it's got to peak at some point the kind of social media you'd think so wouldn't you it's got to hit the fact that like people's grandparents are now on Facebook suggests that it's got a my mum's on Twitter yeah so there you go I'm like why are you on Twitter mum she's just like you know you get to talk to people and stuff I was like you do realise when you say something to someone everyone can see it (laughs) (laughs) she she sent me a message on Twitter but just written it on on, you know, added me. Bitching about the neighbours. Yeah. It's like, I, oh, I saw um, Mary down, down the road the other day and um, she's got some lovely rhododendrons. Uh, you know, just so ridiculous. Like, everyone can see that one. Bless. Yeah, it's weird. I it? think that it's addictive, though. I do think social media is addictive, no matter what age you are, whatever you're It is, to. and you find yourself just uh, staring vacantly into a, in, into a mobile phone. And I'm, what the fuck am I doing? There's no use in anything that I'm doing. I'm just flicking through shit. There's no sad I've just taken, like, a step. I was like, I'm getting rid of my iPhone. I'm buying a 3310. And I'm going to use my emails on my iPad. And I'm going to fuck it all off. But I, but I enjoy it. That's the yeah, annoying thing. Regar- the funny thing is, though, I don't have a personal Facebook. Yeah. But, and I'd, if I wasn't doing what I do, I wouldn't have any of them. I might use Instagram. I quite yeah. like... Sharing photos and. But well, I can we talk about DMs? DMs. Do you, do, you, do you get people weird, weird DMs, like um, direct messages? On Instagram. Yeah. Because yeah, I didn't realise it was a thing until <laughs> um, about six months ago. Yeah. And I suddenly was like, "What's that thing up there that you click on?" Pages of requests. And I clicked on it, and it was like, "You have three hundred and forty-seven messages." I'm like, "What?" So, and, and I read like the first 50 of them or something and there's some crazy shit in those messages so so now I'm like I don't look at them nah. I just press delete all because yeah. it's so weird some of it <laughs> well, right. I'm curious now to what you've read yeah. <laughs> I, so <laughs> there's one right <laughs> I got sent it was an Italian pizza chef <laughs> 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 
an Italian pizza chef, and he was obviously very in love with me. And he he made me a heart shaped pizza Aww. and took a picture of it. Um, but then he said he wanted to kiss my feet. <laughs> And I was like, cool. Uh, I didn't think you were going to say that. Yeah. It's like, cool, nice one. I mean, the pizza looks really nice, to be fair. <laughs> I, like, it looked like a really well-made pizza, but I'm not, I'm, yeah, not oh, really a man. feed guy. No. <clears throat> <laughs> <laughs> Who'd have thought it? If you were wondering if Rag and Bowman has ever received love heart shaped pizza bread or whatever it was, well then yes he has on his direct messages on Instagram. <laughs> I like that story a lot. I wasn't expecting it either. I think that's what made me laugh the most about it. Um, while you're here, I'd kick myself if I didn't say my second record, Staying at Tomorrow's, is just around the corner and available for you to pre-order now at georgeezra.com. Uh, it's a collection of songs that are very close to me about dreaming and taking yourself away, escaping the world around you. Um, and I'm sure you'll love it. Right, I've interrupted enough. Let's jump back into the conversation. Here is the lovely Rag and Bone Man. So people refer to Human as your debut album. Yeah, but it isn't. No, but it isn't. It's a lie. <laughs> so, so that was your first record on a major label. Mm-hmm. What is the experience, how is the experience different between this record and the ones you've done previously? Were they, on, <clears throat> were they all on the same label? Were they all independent? Were they, how, what's the um, So the first record I put out, I put out on my own. Well, I put it through, I was in a group called Rum Committee. And we had our own kind of little label set up. We put out that record independently made our own vinyls and all that kind of stuff and then after that I signed to uh, a hip hop label called High Focus Records that's straight after the first record you were then on High Focus yes and I put out two records through them Um, still you know like an underground label Um, but then after that (coughs) sorry um, after that I put out Walls which is like on the label that I'm on now but not through a major label. So, like, the label's called Best Laid Plans, and it's my friend Mark Crew from school, who's my producer, and um, a guy called Dan Pretty, who's a musician that works with him, and Dan Smith from Bastille. And um, we made that record in a little studio in Battersea and put that, put that out for free. Wolves? Yeah. Nice. And did um, Columbia help with that? Not at the time, because that was, that was completely independent. And then I, I signed to Columbia probably six months later after that. And, and they kind of helped with um, Walls. They sort of started to promote it a bit more. I did, we did a video for <clears throat> Hell Yeah. That was the first video I did under a, a major label as well. So that was kind of cool. That was the first time I was like, we could do a proper video. You know, because we did a video for Lay My Body Down. And um, we filmed it at my mate's house for like a grand because like, that's all the money I had to do it with and then they were like oh we could do this really cool video with these actors and, and, and so we, we worked on a script and all that kind of stuff and I was like this is fucking cool man like you're getting to do this 
kind of stuff and be involved like so you get a kick in out that, of all in that pro- process. the creative elements of it yeah I, yeah, I, the video part of it I love um, the only video I've, I didn't have a part in was human there's obviously advantages and disadvantages to being signed to a label of any capacity the main yeah. advantage like you said like the budget for videos is there's that suddenly there's money to put towards your creative yeah. you know dreams I think a disadvantage is sometimes there's everyone's got an opinion yeah. Which is, of course they have, you know, everyone, anyone you stop on the street, if you say which video do you prefer, A or B, everyone's going to have a different opinion. Yeah, of course. Do you ever struggle with that side of it? I think, um, it, I think certain things have frustrated me, but I'm, I'm pretty hard-headed, and I, and I, and I, when I walked into my, my deal at 29, and I'm like, I'm, I didn't walk in at like 16, um, and I'm really fucking good at saying no. And and um, I'm pretty stubborn, so like I don't, you know. We'll like we'll butt heads now and again. There's people on 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 the label that um, that have, that have really helped, like genuinely, like people like Stacey Tang is like you, you, everybody needs a Stacey Tang at a label. That's what I say. It's like if you if you go to a label, you need a Stacey Tang at that label. Otherwise, don't sign to them. Do you know what I mean? Absolutely. So. It's worth saying for listeners now we're on the same record label, so we yes. both signed to Alison yes. Donald, who's again an amazing person. Legend. That 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 I I I thoroughly like. I know I made the right choice to sign with them because there were so many and the politics behind it and stuff. I was like, I was not I was not ready for the politics behind who you're going to sign with and stuff like that. I was like, if I meet the person and the person's cool and they genuinely like seem to really care about music and care about you then that's the right people you know yeah um, so my my relationship with the label was pretty cool um julian palmer's my a and r and he um he's a cool guy so it's like sort of like my uncle kind of thing with a label like that just someone on the end of the phone and if i've got a problem i have to ring someone up you know you know, I don't want you to go through 10 email chains and you to email my manager, my manager to email me. It's like, just fucking call me if there's something going on or, you know, you want to know something, you know? Completely. Like, they, they really wanted me to go on X Factor. And I was like, I point blank was like, I'm not doing it. I'm not like, I don't hate X Factor, but it's just not me. There was quite a lot of people involved in the conversation. So I had like this... You know, it sort of started with someone saying, oh, you th- we really think you should do that, you know. And then someone a bit higher up was like, you know, we really think you should do this. And I was like, I'm, I'm not doing it. And and then suddenly, like, you know, Julian was just like, yeah, I know you're not going to do it. It's cool. Don't worry about it, you know. Because they're, like, they wouldn't, and they can't force you to do stuff, and they wouldn't, I don't think. You know, I know that before this, you worked... In care, mm. you worked with kids with Asperger's and Down mm. syndrome, and that, as a career and a job, is very personal. It's very intimate in the sense that it's the same people. It's a community-based job. Yeah. And touring can be very impersonal. It can be very f- fleeting. You turn up, you yeah. do your gig, and you're off. There is a simplicity in. I looked after two kids with Down syndrome, and that was a very kind of like. I know I know what I'm doing every day. 
I'm like listening to Disney songs and like driving them to college or you know helping them with their colouring in or do you know what I mean it's like it was it was it was really fucking cool but then on Ashburn's it's just like so fucking different like you know you never get the same thing every day <laughs> so I think like I think that's like really helped with my kind of the way I like you, because basically that job is about communication it's about learning how best to communicate with different people that mindsets don't work the same as yours so for instance like you're working with somebody with Asperger's syndrome you can't go in the morning and be like so what do you want to do today because it's like a minefield you know it's like you you know that 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 causes that person like problems because that makes their brain go what, what, what am I going to do and they'd be really worried about it so you know you're being like do you want to do this or this it's like it's learning like if you say that that's not going to cause them a problem because it's only two choices and is, is the care side of things something you think you will look forward to going back to at some point in the future or do you think I, I personally think that touring is fairly addictive I think after once you have a break from it I'm hungry to get back on tour now. Yeah. And I love being at home, but there's something, yeah. there's like a lure about yeah. it. Yeah, totally. I love it. Like, that's, uh, for me, it's the best thing about music is being on stage. It's like, I don't, I don't like anything else as much as that. But right. do you think one day you, you would look forward to going back into working in a community-based job or care or...? I don't know. I don't think so. I think I love music too much. I don't. I don't. Um, I don't think I'll ever go back. I think what I'm, what I miss about it is being around the people. Have you like the people that you used to work with? Have they ever come to a show? Or well, my sister's Downs, and um, she comes to shows. But um, the other people I work with don't really like big crowds, and I think they 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 are quite uncomfortable with it, so they haven't been to a show. But they see me on TV and stuff, you know. They just call and, and, and I go and see them at Christmas and stuff like that. And and what's really nice is they don't give a shit if you're famous or not. Do you know what I mean? They don't like because you're on TV or you're on the radio. You, you, like I went round to see them recently, and I used to take them, um, the, the brother and sister called Peter and Nikki. I used to take them to this diner for dinner on a Friday night. It was their favourite thing to do, and I went round. And, and their mum's like, oh, um, we saw you on the TV the other day. And he was just like, when are we going to go to the diner? And I was like, well, we haven't been for about five years, but we, I could take you if you want, <laughs> you know? <laughs> it's like, he, just, he, he didn't give a shit. Yeah, yeah. So, which is, which is really nice. Absolutely. <clears throat> Absolutely. Yeah, so you're, you're coming to the end of an album cycle of touring, of promoting, Christmas will roll around. I guess you'll wake up on New Year's Day. And be a free man. Yeah. We're doing one more tour in the new year. And then a few festivals. But then that's kind of... That's going to be it. Like, this year we did fucking 55 festivals. Is that the official number? Yeah, we did 55 festivals. And oh, it was great. it was like... Toby's been touring for years and then the most he's ever done is like 50. And he's like... It was a hardcore summer. But like... And I know I realised it was too much afterwards. I was like, all, everyone was 
going mental by the end of it. <laughs> you know what I mean? So yeah, it was. It's just a, it was a lesson. Like, I was like, we we put too much in, but you know, this year, yeah, I'll probably do like twenty or something this year. I kind of want to have the album done this year, so. Um, just keep moving. Yeah, I mean, I've written like, I reckon I've written ten new songs fairly recently, and 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 at least five or six of them, I'm like, they're, they're album material. So I don't think it's going to be a massively long process because I had it in my brain, like, even when I was finishing off the last record, what I wanted the next one to sound like. But I'm working on it now, like, me and... Um, me and my keys player just are going to write the record together. I'm trying to work on some collaboration stuff, but it's not really going too well at the moment. So <laughs> people, you were people, people like replying, they're like, don't know what's to work with me. <laughs> <laughs> if there's any consolation for you, me trying to put this, like just getting in a room to talk <laughs> to musicians is proving harder than really? I Really? Yeah, man. Okay. I think it's just, we're just like, uh, there's a reason we have managers. Yeah, right. <laughs> <laughs> um, that's amazing that you already have a good idea of what you you know mm. so the next record's gonna sound like. What what's the since hitting the road since it all started on this record, the success of it. What's been the thing you've enjoyed most? To like, huh. is there parts of the world you've never seen before? That could be you know. What's I always wanted to travel, and I, and, I, and I never did it because I was always like. You know, there was always there's always an excuse like you can't do it because of this or you haven't got enough money or such and such. I think the best thing about it, I've got to travel everywhere, and you know it's it's frustrating at times when you're like, I'm in Tokyo, but all I saw was a hotel room and and, and a festival, but then you got to drive up a fucking massive mountain into Nagita or whatever, and it's like that's pretty fucking cool. And you get to go places that you'd never see, you know. I've been to, like, Canada and Australia and Japan and, like, you know, I would have never done that. So, you know, the music's taken me there. So, you know, that's a blessing. Yeah, it really is. There's... What's your favourite place you've been to? I loved South Africa. We did yeah. four shows in South Africa. And we were there for five days. It was one of the... Or six days. It was kind of one of those fly-in, night-off gig... Fly gig, fly gig. Maybe it was three shows, can't remember. But I just loved it there. Um, so I, I do love it there. I love Canada. Yeah, me too. I always see it it's as... It's like I, America, but sick. <laughs> this is it. I, like, I love America. And actually, my favourite place to tour is America. But yeah. you dip into Canada and it's like a breath of fresh air. Yeah, yeah. So you slow yeah. down just a tiny bit. Yeah. It's like a bit more full-on than England. Yeah. But not as full-on as America. Yeah. So while I'm coming to the show later on tonight, yeah, what can I expect? How like how long is your set? What kind of how do you approach it? So it's totally different now. All right, we changed it a lot um, from the last time around, musically and visually. I have this concept of like an audience looking at an audience. So behind me is like five big drapes. I think there's three this time. We can only get three in. And on the drapes, my um my friend Stuart who was in Rum Committee, he's an amazing illustrator, has um, drawn an audience behind us and it's made up of like my friends and like some like people in music like this like old dirty bastard and there's like Charles Bradley and Louis Armstrong, people like stuck in places, you don't notice them straight away, but they're all there. 
and they're kind of looking at the audience so and, and it turned out really cool I really like it and musically like we just change stuff around just to try and make it more interesting and we have a brass section now uh, which I love but um, it's a bit more it's a little bit more hip hop it's quite long it's like an hour and 40 minutes I've been, I keep getting told that it's too long but I really enjoy it and I don't want to take songs out and stuff so Man, it's amazing talking to you and just hearing that you still love it as much as you do and that you... I've, I've got no bad feelings towards it in, in the slightest. I love that's amazing. I didn't know, I didn't walk into this knowing what I was going to hear. Yeah. But I know that at the end of a record touring, people can be fatigued and kind of... And it's just amazing to hear... Do you know what? I think the, the, the sole reason behind I think that the we're like me and my band and my crew and everyone are, are cool still at the end of like th this always because like we're all friends and like we all just hang out and have a fucking laugh because it's meant to be fun but like I don't know about you but like I do come across other groups of musicians and stuff that look quite miserable and, and, and I often think, like, you know, I get it. If, you're, if you've been touring since the 80s, I get it. Like, it's going to have taken its toll. <laughs> but um, if you don't like it, then don't fucking do it. Do you know what I mean? There's other things to do, like go back to the office or do what, be miserable somewhere else. No, thank you for doing <laughs> this today. No, it's all right. It's good. I, ne I needed to get out, you know, you know, when you're wallowing and you're hungover, you're like... I really want to stay in bed, but no, it's good. I feel better now. So there you have it. If you ask Rag and Bone Man, is he still enjoying it? He'll turn to you and say, yeah, I'm loving it. And that's a really nice thing to hear. Um, what a lovely guy. I'm sure you'll agree. Very relaxed, very chilled. It was amazing to spend the afternoon in his company. So thank you very much, Rory, if you're listening. I doubt he is. Anyway, um, just before we wrap up, I'd like to say a huge thank you to the team. So that's Mr. Warren Borg, uh, editing extraordinaire. O'Sheen Griffin for putting the amazing podcast visuals together. The Closer Artist Gang, thank you guys. Rag and Bone Man, of course. What an amazing guest. And of course, you guys. Thank you very much for listening. Um, it really does mean a lot to me. Uh, I hope you enjoyed the show. Don't forget to subscribe and tell your friends. I reckon they'll enjoy it too. Um, and if you're going to leave a review, please be extra nice. Anything under five stars is going to hurt me some way. I don't know. Yeah. Thank you very much. Have a lovely week. Don't go changing. See you next time. Turn your distractions off and discover your new favorite podcast. This is Bose Recommends. Hi, guys. I'm Nat Coombs from the NFL show with Nat Coombs. Yep, that was a title that took us hours to come up with. We're thrilled to be involved with Bose Recommends because, frankly, we are having a great time making this show. We drop episodes every Tuesday and Thursday, and the clue is very much 
in the title. We're all about the NFL. I'm joined each episode by terrific guests from both sides of the pond, players past and present, journalists, comedians, writers, you name it. They love NFL. They're in. So what are you waiting for? Get involved. Acast, iTunes, all your favorite podcatchers. It'll be good to have you with us. Enjoy your new favorite podcast without distractions. Discover how at bose.co.uk. Bose. Focus on.